This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Okay, um... Okay, so my stance on friendship homework, and I think the Spooko stance on friendship homework is pretty clear. Um, aside from <laughs> horror movie recommendations, I don't want any fucking friendship homework. <laughs> I've got enough. I've got enough stuff to do, but that doesn't mean that peer pressure is something that we reject on Spooko. We're all about peer pressure. I'm all about succumbing to peer pressure. And the most recent bit of peer pressure I received was, Peach, why don't we do any episodes where you're drinking anymore? And I was like, well, <laughs> that's just the sort of peer pressure <laughs> that I'm available to succumb to. So, look, there have been lots of sober episodes, and frankly, this is going to be a reasonably sober episode. But I've just got a non-reshers here. It's not going to be very nice. And I've got a small bourbon as well. So in the spirit of people wanting me to drink more, which is feedback I've now received three times, <laughs> I'll try to get a little bit of a buzz going through this episode, dude. Uh, dude, dudes, and then Reshes, if you want to help with some future episodes, uh, you now know Shag's postal address. So if you want to send any more beers that way, we'll be able to sort it out. But um, Shag, was your feedback for me that I'm not drinking enough? If so, you're in luck. As a very close friend of mine, I've come <laughs> to, you know, appreciate your many foibles. And I think at, at, at the crux of Peach, at the core of you as a person <laughs> is... Not drinking and, enough. Yeah, no, I get, I get it. Yeah. Is this strange clash between a person who, as you said before, succumbs to peer pressure incredibly easily, but on the other <laughs> hand, refuses to do what people tell you and actively tries to do things that you're not supposed to? So I don't understand how, how those two things work together. It's Look, I'm just a walking dichotomy. It's why this podcast has over one... Hundred listeners, Shag. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're just a mystery wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in an enigma here at Spooko. Um, but like, if we can lean in towards the subject matter, can I just take you into my brain? Because I know that Sydney's going to lose you um, in the coming weeks, and and look, you'll do some admin on on how Spooko is going to work in your absence. But I'm actually properly racking my brain for some more film ideas to pitch you, right? And if I can just take you through my thought process, my thought process is um, an effective horror concept, and, I, and this is slightly retreading old ground, but I'll just, I'll just put it to you. An effective horror concept is taking the familiar and making it somehow threatening, somehow uh, extreme, somehow gross, somehow unfamiliar, right? So you are at once uh, in the familiar territory, but you're feeling just the wrong way about it. 
And so I've been trying to take day-to-day comforts and things that I like and try to think about (laughs) ways to make them horrific. And, like, all I'm really coming up with is, like, warm showers and, like, the well-being of my family and, like, stable employment and all this fairly trite sort of stuff. So, Shag, one of the parts of your job is to encourage people to use their creativity in a more directed and effective way. And I'm just wondering if you've got any feedback for me. Like, I feel like I know what my task is. I feel like I've got some idea of what I'm trying to do. But I feel like I'm sort of stumbling around trying to get there. Have you got any feedback for me as a creative director? How would you direct my creativity? Peach, this is right up my alley. This is uh, veering into brainstorming sessions. Although here's a funny thing. No one calls them brainstorms anymore because that sounds a bit dated. So we call them ideation. it's It's literally the same thing. But no one says brainstorms anymore. We just say ideation. So there are a number of really simple techniques to help you get there. but So first of all, the, the issue is you want to create, like, you know, the, the output of this brainstorm slash ideation session is you want a horror movie idea. Your yes. way in is you want yes. to take something, you know, not threatening and turn it threatening. And that's yes. what you want to do. And I guess what you're trying to do is find ways to, you know, generate ideas that way, right? I think, yes, I think what I want first is a reasonably exhaustive list of non-threatening things that I will then work through and say, which of those non-threatening things sparks my imagination to just make it a bit more threatening? That's, that's like, basically, let's make a list of non-threatening things is what this ideation session is about. So, Have you got any juniors who can just do this work for me? Shag, by the way, <laughs> if you could delegate this, I'd be... <laughs> I'm all about <laughs> delegation these days. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like there, mm. there are a lot of like brainstorming techniques and your idea, like you've essentially come up with your own have how to create horror movies because I would throw the thing to you and then you'd make mm. it threatening. So I'd go, okay, well, uh, an orange. Uh, po- poisonous. <laughs> um, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, like you know, a mid-priced suit um, shop. Uh, 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 possessed uh, by the spirit of the um, l- l- late um, slave owner of the cotton plantation. Um, um, and will cause its wearer to exact um, vengeance via hate crimes and will lead to a sort of politically themed horror film where we'll be able to explore contemporary tensions and how they echo tensions of the past. One more, one more. A grandfather of a colleague who's recently died and it's a sad moment. A strange inheritance where everything looks extremely excellent on its face, but once you scratch the surface, everything is not quite what it seems. See, Peach, the way to come up with ideas, and, like, God, this was, like, the most crush course in anything, is, you know, mm. it's, it's hard to think... If you tell someone to think laterally, that's how you come up with ideas, you have to think laterally. If you tell someone mm. to think laterally, they won't do it. So you have to give them some sort of stimuli. You basically have to go to their brain, hey, brain, look over there. And then while their brain's, like, looking over there, that's when the ideas form. And that's what we're doing now. In fact, you're... 
this this technique of coming up with horror film ideas, I think is mm. absolutely fantastic. I want to put something to you though that might actually help you come up with more ideas though, because yes. and it's kind of based on today's horror film, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, and I'm being like, I you know we do love a very general oversimplification of things here at Spooko. If there's, if, there's, if there's one thing we like to do is make the world a series of binary choices. So for horror movies, there's effectively two types of horror movies. There's the horror uh, movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's and this, taken us a long time to get here, but yeah, this is, yeah, yeah, this is my new thought. This is my new <laughs> thought. Like you, okay. you've been through the plots of like sixty-five so far. Let me yep. know if you agree or disagree with this. So, cool, one cool. type of horror movie is when it's like, here's the bad guy. It's Choppy McChops. Let's watch Choppy chop as many people as possible during the time of this film. I'll call that a slasher, loosely. Slasher could also be like, here's a number of traps. How many traps can people get trapped in and sorted out of blah, 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 right? That's one. Mm-hmm. The other one is, oh, things just seem a little bit unsettling. Oh, twist. Oh, yeah, everything was different than I thought, and it's actually much worse than I thought. Yes. Yeah, okay. So they're the two types of horror films. So I guess for me, I'm like, okay, once you get to the thing you want to flip, consider, do you want it to be obvious that that poisonous orange from space we know Mm. it's a poison or at least we know enough that there's some sort of orange killing people and we're enjoying watching it kill people for a while until it's thwarted or is it at the end or do we start with just a regular orchard and then whoops hang on no one of these oranges is from space so that's (laughs) that's that's another way in but okay so I, i i'll explain why in fact, maybe at the end of this podcast, I'll explain how I got to that realization. But oh, are you? Is, is that called burying the lead? Is that another creativity strategy? Like, guys, stay tuned for some more creativity tips at the end of this podcast. Peach, peach, come, come close. Is I? It. This is one of those things I've only read. Isn't it burying the lead? Is it pronounced lead or is it burying the lead? I really don't know. This is the word L E D E, isn't it? I thought it was burying the lead. I've been wrong before, and it may well be that I'm wrong about this. I okay, think I, right. Now that I hear you say it, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to it. Let's, like, let's get back to it. All right, we, all can't right. have too, we can't have too many sides. Okay, so because to take everything his... is not quite what it seems. <laughs> <laughs> so to take us there, first of all, mm. you know, you're a man of, uh, you know, cultural appreciation. Oh, don't get me started. Tyrion Dot watched most of it. <laughs> How do you feel about Paul Simon's Graceland? Top five, I think, ever. Like, I think it's proper wide album, Kid A, beautiful dark twisted fantasy kind of level. I don't know, Shag, what do you say? Well, okay, first of all, I'm starting to think that maybe and this is sacrilege, I know, but I'm starting to think maybe that My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy isn't aging as well as we thought it would. But Oh, that's so challenging and not necessarily wrong. Oh, it's not wrong at all, and that's what's tough about it. 
Because it was like an instant classic and it was, and, and I really mean that in a genuine sense where like instantly it was like, cool, one of the best albums of all time came out last week. And it's like, yes. But um, let's go back to, let's go back to Paul Simon. So I, uh, I have so many things in my head because I was reading up about this album before this that I think is so interesting. I love the fact that, you know, he was basically on, like my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Paul Simon had been written off. Um... He wasn't considered commercially viable. Somebody sent him a cassette because it was in the era of cassettes of uh, township music. So from South Africa. So, you know, the, the black population in apartheid South Africa, you know, creating music that had been bootlegged. And he heard it and was like, this is so joyous. He decides to go over there. People are still questioning whether it was good or bad for an American musician to go over and record during apartheid hugely yeah i'm pleased we got to that like i think i think that the politics behind graceland like the politics behind thriller are michael jackson's a pedophile and plenty of non-pedophiles have made songs so i think that i think that that politics is more straightforward but the politics of graceland apartheid and also the cultural appropriation point i think is relevant but i'm sure we'll get there shag i apologize apologize for cutting across man drinking I also like and again another challenging thought I don't know if you mm. can cancel a dead person like I don't know if you can cancel Michael Jackson like I don't know if that works there are lots Yet. of terrible dead people throughout history that we still rely on and we yep. still it's, cite yeah like it's funny like seeing people dance to the Jackson 5 at a preschool like at <laughs> you know at my son's preschool it's like yeah, like as I say, like, sure, like there are non-pedophiles who've made songs you can dance to as well, and like, and I'm not saying no one ever has to listen to a Michael Jackson song, but there is a sort of question of like, well, you've got a choice to listen to songs made by pedophiles and songs not, and you know, given that choice, it's intriguing to note that you've said no, the songs made by non-pedophiles just aren't up to scratch. And I really, really need to support this pedophile in the music he's made. And it's just it's just an interesting decision. <laughs> but sometimes it's just like, yeah, but what if the songs are really good? <laughs> like, what, you, what am I supposed to do there? I can't, I can't, can't, I can't deny my Yeah, I can't deny my feet that are tapping and my head that's bobbing. Anyway, so back to Graceland. This is all a roundabout way of me saying what is your favourite song on Graceland? Yeah, I don't know. Diamonds on the Soles of Our Shoes, maybe? Or um, or Graceland itself? Um, yeah, Diamonds on the Soles of Our Shoes is the... Oh, what, oh, she's a rich girl, don't try to hide it. Diamonds on the Soles of Our Shoes. Yeah, that's that one. The poor boy, empty as a... Yeah. Yeah, Diamonds on the Soles of Our Shoes. Let's do it. What's yours? Thank you. Thank you. It was like... This was the longest intro for you to be like... What's yours? And I'm like, okay, so mine is definitely uh, Boy in the Bubble. And the reason why I brought all the... I'm like the long, twisted road that brought us here is today... You buried that lead. Buried that lead. (laughs) Today's film film features uh, Boy in the Bubble as the start. But it definitely goes somewhere that you won't expect towards the end. Today, we're doing a Netflix film from 2019 called Eli. Hey, I'm Haley. I live down the road. I'm Eli. They say you're what, like allergic to the world, right? 
I guess you could say that. Hello, Eli. I'm Dr. Horn. Hello. I hope you don't think of this as a medical facility. To me, it's a home. And for now, it's your home. Why has been so long? Everything we hoped for is right here. I need to leave. Is his life in danger? You are sicker than you realize. You're gonna get better. Promise. Ugh. That had it all. Man, like medical horror, angst about your child horror, scary child running down the hallway horror. Like I'm like I'm in an elevated heart rate. Shaq, this could be a by the numbers seven and a half out of ten horror film. And I think it's uh, it's one Spooko Studios might get just a little bit of inspiration from. Because it's taking the everyday of a sick child <laughs> and flipping it to being a really sick child. You have no idea how on the money you are with all of that. From the fact that this is that classic film where it's a hard three stars. At the end, yes. you're like, there was a lot of that I liked. I will never watch it again. Probably wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anyone unless they had nothing else to watch. But, I mean, that pretty much typifies most of Netflix's content, right? Like, that's that's their whole point. They're just like, we've got a lot of stuff. Like, that's it. Uh, watching this preview, like, I, I just feel like I've had a really direct representation of precisely what it'll be like. And I'm like, yeah, cool. That's, that's what the film will be. I will not be disappointed or particularly impressed. I'll just have seen that film. Oh, I'm amped up. So I think what's cool about this is, though, is this story does not go the way you think it will. Mm. And if there's one fact that proves that, it's the fact that in October 2017, Paramount played, so some, like, subsidiary of Paramount acquired this film and they were going to release it in January 2019. But then Netflix brought the rights after they didn't release it because they had no idea how to market it. And the only, so the only times you don't know how to market a film is when there's something that you, something so key that you don't want to give away, or it doesn't, it doesn't follow the same trajectory of a film of the genre would, and thus the trailer is going to be really hard to make. Really? Because I, like I, this, this felt by the numbers. Well, so, so this is a brilliant trailer production as well. I think it's brilliant trailer production. I also think the ending of this story makes it worthwhile. And in fact, I probably would recommend it in a way to be like, look, don't like second screen this film, like have multiple things happening. Do it while you work, but pay attention to the end because the end's pretty cool. Okay, and if you're listening to a podcast where you're going to get the ending spoiled, um, watch the film first. Would that also be your advice? No, I'd say just like, this is actually a way better way to get to the ending. So you don't have to sit through like 90 minutes. Wait a minute, how long is it? 98 minutes. Uh, The average Spooko episode is between 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, mm. We've probably done 10, 15 minutes already. You've got yep. like 10 or 15 minutes till you're going to get to the cool ending. Just stick with yeah, us. Yeah, man. I've got a buzz on. You know, things, uh, things are going well. All right. So let's start with Eli Miller. So he's a young boy suffering from a rare disease that causes severe allergic reactions to the outdoors, forcing him to live his life in protective gear. Effectively, he basically lives in either hazmat suits or a giant bubble, whether he's at home or he's out. 
And they do a really good job to set up the fact that he has these loving parents who really care about him. And he sort of has like a nice, fun upbringing, but he's completely disconnected from the world. And he says that losing love is like a window in your heart as well. It's a Graceland reference. Glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't know all the lyrics. I like the album a lot. So his parents... Rose and Paul have taken him to Dr. Isabella Horn's secluded medical facility, a large old house that has been modernized and quarantined. Eli is initially overjoyed that the facility allows him to remove his bubble suit because once he goes through, they're basically, it's an old mansion, but it has an airlock. So once he goes through the doors, he can then take off the suit and run around as normal because it's completely... uh, it, it's sealed. completely it's completely sealed and safe which part of me is kind of like i don't believe something like that would exist if it was if it looked like a mansion but they do a good job to make you not really question it during the film if grand designs episodes i watched 10 years ago taught me anything it is that sealing a house like that is extremely expensive even <laughs> if it's a new house and so <laughs> backdating it for an existing rickety old mansion, which appeared most of which was sort of built of wood, um, when you have no actual patients, like when you're actually out recruiting for patients <laughs> and there's no one using it, um, seems particularly uncommercial. But good on Isabella Horn, uh, the good the good doctor for, you know, if you, if you build it, they will come. Must be her approach to medicine and more power to her because she's proved right in this movie. So Eli has this like initial couple of scenes of total elation. Like he's allowed to like hug his parents without, you know, wearing the suit. He can sort of run around. He can just sort of live like a normal boy. But his joy is short lived as he begins to experience supernatural phenomena in the house. He also begins his treatments, which are excruciatingly painful. So when you said that this film has it all it really does it has the medical horror of being chained to a bed weird stuff that you don't know what's happening to you like causing you to feel extreme pain but also weird shit just happening in the house like lots of jump scares as well so it kind of has its cake and eats it too yeah okay and plus the coolest thing is these two things are related and they come together in a way that's quite satisfying yeah okay Again, I feel like this arose from a reasonably successful ideation. I feel like there were 12 writers on this who got along reasonably well and we got a nice, strong compromise story that's like that everyone was mildly disappointed but not extremely disappointed with. I agree that creative compromises lead to the worst work, but I also profoundly disagree with auteur theory and I believe that the best work comes from collaboration always. I can't think of a single example where one person doing the thing all by themselves created the best version of that uh, genre or medium. Well, I suspect my beautiful dark twisted fantasy might be one <laughs> example that you point to these days. <laughs> Alright, so... When we say supernatural phenomena, lots of weird stuff keeps happening and there are ghosts and the ghosts repeatedly leave him the message lie, which is, of course, an anagram of Eli, but Eli is a pretty simple word, so it's not the most complicated anagram ever. But Eli begins to wonder if they're trying to warn him about the treatments he's receiving from Dr. Isabella Horn. 
So Eli befriends Haley, a young girl with whom he speaks through a large window in the house's first floor. So she just shows up in the outside window. I guess, you know, there's there's an implication she's a ghost, but she seems pretty real, so we don't really know. And she's just she and Eli strike up a friendship, but only when no one else is around. Yeah, look, she's a ghost or a hallucination or or a, a, a sixth sense. Uh, yeah, surely. But sorry, I'm I'm meant to think that, aren't I? Sorry, yes. Well done, film. You got me. <laughs> she's also the only person who believes his claims that the house is haunted because he's also telling his parents and the doctors this, and they're like, "Don't even worry about it. We're fine. Chill." So it's also a gaslighting film. Gosh, it ticks every box. Yeah, it really does tick every single horror box. There are no traps. I mean, there's. He gets tied to things. Oh, I mean, there's arguably trap. I just feel like Saw has created the whole trap genre. Um, Also, I want to eventually get to a film called The Collector, which is like if someone loved Saw but thought it was like too highbrow. (laughs) Anyway, we'll we'll get there eventually. Too scary. Didn't watch. Did a film called Possessor this week, which um had some skin wearing in it. So. Um, we need to get um, eyes up out into the market before skin wearing oh. um, gets played out. Uh, so we <laughs> we got to get our skates on for that too. So Haley, the the ghost or apparition or real girl who's communicating with Eli, tells him that none none of the other patients that Horn has treated left the facility, implying that they died. Eli also discovers the word lie is actually the inverted number 317. So there's lots of code breaking in here as well. Very light yeah, code yeah. breaking. I, I'm i not a hacker, but yes. from what I understand, a three-digit or three-numeral or three-character code is probably not the hardest code to crack. I was going to say, look, it's definitely easier than the four-digit code <laughs> that everyone who receives a bank card ever in their <laughs> life has to assign. Um, yeah, look, you're a one in a thousand chance of getting it right if you're speculating. Yeah. It's so not an impregnable, li- unbreakable code, surely. So lie is actually the inverted number 317, the passcode to Horn's office. When he investigates the office, he finds Horn's records of past patients showing that all of them were killed by the third final treatment. So there's there's a there's another nice box ticking kind of like last week in which they keep you up to date with what's happening. So there's like there's a obviously all films have like the different acts, but this film actually calls them out by being like, "Well, you have your first stage of treatment, you have your second stage of treatment, and then there's the final stage of treatment. So we're always ramping up towards that final stage of treatment. And now Eli knows that every single other patient dies in the third stage of treatment. I'm excited. Like, like again, the committee's done a good job. It's like, oh, we need to really just sort of manufacture something there that sort of ratchets up the tension slowly. And, you know, we need a three-act film. And how are we going to do that? Blogsy, what's your idea? Sick. All right. Oh, yeah, three-act. Okay. You know, I'm about it, Jake. This is good. The committee done good. So Eli unsuccessfully tries to persuade his parents that they need to leave the facility. But Paul, his dad, tries to drug him into unconsciousness. <laughs> perfect, perfect parenting what? right there. When was this made? Uh, 2017. Well, yeah, so now he's as bad as anyone else in the film. 
if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong because it's been a little while since I saw this, but I think the dad is played by, you know, the American office, the version, you know, the version of Dawn. Anyway, look, anyway he's, he's basically played by an actor who plays shit guys. And you know, oh, when somebody yeah, plays, okay. you know, when somebody plays shit guys and whenever you see them show up in a film, you just can't shake it. And you're like, you're a shit guy. And he effectively lives up to that. But, you know, it doesn't help the roles he's played in the past. Um, That's awesome. So like the first two thirds, he's like, don't worry, Shaq. I'm just a nice guy in this one. And then it's like, no, oh, turns out, <laughs> it turns out I'm not. <laughs> So, hurt and confused, Eli barricades himself in Horn's office. He finds a photograph of Horn and her assistants dressed as nuns and a hidden passageway to an underground room with religious paraphernalia. Imagine getting that sealed up, right? So it's a hidden underground religious room that you also, with my experience watching Grand Designs, you would need your, like, sealing the house expert to go all the way down there to seal all of that too. That's got to be witheringly expensive. Exactly. That's my thing with the most recent episode of Luther and every, you know, film or TV show where the bad guy has like a secret underground, you know, cage where they lock their victims up. It's like, who built that? How did you get that? Like, what part of the renovation? Like, how did you just make sure that went under the covers? How is that not in any public records? From what I understand, whenever you do a, you know, add an extension to your house, the council knows about it, right? Yeah, it's got to be approved and there's a certification process and in order for your certifier to maintain the certifier's insurance policy, there are all these sort of boxes that have got to be ticked. Like, no one is going to put their career at risk to build your torture dungeon. Um, And the idea that building and construction regulation somehow skipped a beat in post-2000s inner-city London is perverse. And for that reason and that reason only, the blood-drinking... Oh, no, it's the husband and wife team, isn't it? The most recent Luther. The husband and wife team Luther episode is unrealistic for that reason only. Oh, and Luther just getting shot in the leg and being like, oof, that hurt. Anyway... So, meanwhile, Horn locks him inside this uh, religious paraphernalia dungeon and he experiences an allergic reaction because we think, okay, well, maybe it's actually outside of the house's, like, you know, confines. Yeah, okay. And he passes out. When he awakes, he finds he can breathe fine and he actually has no disease. Rose, his mum, feeling guilty for deceiving Eli, goes to him. Eli pretends he's still unconscious. When she opens the gate, he knocks her unconscious with a crucifix and flees, but is recaptured by Horn and his father. So, classic Wikipedia. So, Eli doesn't have a disease. What? Then what's been happening in the first half of the film? Okay, wait, wait, wait. So, his mother regains consciousness and finds a dagger in the crucifix. She also discovers that the stone monument in the room conceals the bodies of Horn's previous patients, bound and adorned with religious symbols. Horrified and enraged, she forces her way into the treatment room, but Paul subdues her. It is then revealed... Okay, you ready for this pitch? Okay, okay. It is then revealed that Eli is actually a child of Satan and his allergic reactions were manifestations of his emerging powers. Horn, and I even feel like calling her Horn was like a little bit of a like foreshadowing. 
Yeah, like I sort of actually got a Rosemary's Baby vibe from this. Like, like I, I don't know how or why, if I'm just making it up in hindsight, try to sound smart. But yeah, okay, I'm with you. I was completely blindsided. I did not pick this at all. Anyway, so Horn begins the third treatment, a religious ritual meant to end Eli's life. When she tries to stab him with the sacrificial dagger, Eli uses telekinesis, because at this point Eli realizes he's the son of the devil and can do like horrible stuff, uses telekinesis to lift Horn and her assistant in the air, spin them upside down, resembling the cross of St. Peter, then they all burst into flames which is this like horrific but also super cool looking image. Like I don't, I feel bad saying it, but it's a really cool looking image when they all (laughs) burst into flame. He also sets the house afire. Eli's mother, okay, this is the bit that's dumb and I I think we should maybe investigate before we get to the end of the film. But Eli's mother reveals that she wanted a son so badly, she turned to Satan who lied that Eli would be a normal child. Eli's father advances with the dagger, but Eli kills him by crushing his face. Um, Hang on, so so Eli's dad tries to kill. Yeah, so Eli's Eli. so so Eli's mom, uh, you know, was having slept with pro- Satan, like, or well, well, she had some sort of a deal with Satan, and she believed that he would be a normal child. Which to me, I'm like, my, like my problem is. Mm. All of popular culture, you know, from the dawn of time has mm. said, don't bargain with, don't trust the devil. Don't but do a she's deal like, with the devil. I think she's like, the... well, the devil's saying the son's going to be normal. I got to take him at his word. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he is Satan. Yeah. His word is his bond. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So Eli and his mother leave the burning house where Haley greets them. So it turns out Haley is actually alive and real. And she's like a demon, presumably, because she's trying to mentor young Satan Jr. Well, she tells Eli that he is stronger than the others who were his half-siblings, devil children too. She reveals that she too is a child of Satan and that she was unable to tell him as he had to find and prove his own power. She offers to take Eli to his true father. When he accepts, Haley wonders if Eli can trust his mother. He indicates that he can and the film ends with Rose driving the two children away from the burning facility. That's the end of Eli. I can understand why that's tough to market, I've got to say. Because I'm sort of left with a feeling of like, oh, okay. And and I'm also left, you know, a little bit um, humbled because I was sitting here saying I know what this film's about and I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> and, yeah, like a little bit of Omen via Rosemary's Baby. I think there's a tiny bit of ambition to that, Shag. Like, I think the film by committee criticism I made... Might have been a bit unfair. I think this might get a 7.1 out of 10 on the... Perhaps there's the tiniest chance I'd watch it. Stakes. I don't know. Peach, let's add it to your list. Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's... What's up?